um, this morning is not going to be the most polished message you've ever heard. Uh, I can promise you that. Um, but it's going to be real. And, and it is really just an overflow of something that God has been doing in me um, really over the last year. And something that he has just uh, been messing me up over and drilling deep um, in, this, in this season. And, and so just know if it sounds like I'm talking about myself a little bit more than normal, uh, it's just because this is really fresh and, and really personal to me uh, right now. And, and so this morning, um, our third week, as we talk about uh, this series, there's an app for that. This morning I want to talk about rest. And if you know me or you've been around Mosaic for any length of period of time, you know that um, I don't do this well. Um, I don't do this well. And so last year, my wife will enthusiastically affirm that. Uh, I don't rest well by nature. In some ways, I'm kind of hardwired to, to fail at this. Uh, and so last year, actually, um, we were, I was just in a busy season and burning the candle at both ends. And, and things weren't looking to slow down. And I was up in the Twin Cities in a meeting with about eight to ten pastors. And they had an intervention. And they pulled me aside. And they said, Aaron, uh, we love you. Um, it's really cool what God is doing at Mosaic. It's pretty incredible. But man, you're not going to make it. So you can only do life and ministry on Red Bull and adrenaline for so long. And eventually the adrenaline runs out. Um, you're not healthy, man. And if you think it's not affecting your church and not affecting your family, uh, you're kidding yourself. Uh, so you need to learn how to rest and you need to learn how to rest fast. Um, and that was just over a year ago, and, and, and that initiated for me a journey of learning to do something that I've never done before, uh, which is learning how to trust God with my time. And it's really ironic that I'm actually teaching on this this morning. Um, I've, I've been scheduled to teach this. I did an annual teaching calendar for the first time. So I've been scheduled for, for weeks and weeks to teach this, um, but I'm coming out of what has probably been the craziest and busiest two weeks of my entire life. And so we were in Seattle all week, and I had meetings all day into the evenings, very uh, emotionally and uh, mentally just exhausting and draining. And so we got home uh, yesterday morning at 1 a.m. and slept in as long as I could, picked up the girls, and then I crawled up to the computer <laughs> to try to put some of this into words. Uh, but God knows what he's doing, because in the midst of the craziness, what I've been marinating on is what it means to rest in him. Um, and so God has a sense of humor. And he's kind of funny like that. Um, in the process, I'm learning some things about myself. Um, one of the things that I'm noticing is God has been kind of surfacing this, this junk that's in here when it comes to busyness and not resting. Is I find myself when I talk to people and they ask me, hey, Aaron, how you doing? Um, that I almost feel the need to, to add something. Even if I'm doing really good, I'll say, man, I'm good. And then, then I almost, it's like I feel the need to have to say, busy, but good. You know what I mean? Uh, things are crazy right now, but I'm good, you know? And as I'm realizing this about myself, I'm, I'm starting to realize that, that I'm not the only one, that actually maybe it's just that people are picking up on it, but people, when they talk to me or they email me or they text me or whatever, almost always now they say, hey, Aaron, I know you're really busy, but, you know, Aaron, I know you're a busy guy, but could you help me? And so God's been messing me up on this. Because um, I don't know about you, but, but I don't want to be that guy that has no margin in my life for the people I care most about. But for much of my story, that's been me. And as I've been recognizing this in myself, I'm recognizing this seems to be true of a lot of us. Right? Because it seems like everybody's busy and nobody's really rested. Right? I talk to people and, and everybody talks about how busy they are. 
and we all use the season of life that we're in as the excuse for why we're busy. You notice this? So I will talk to high school kids. We've got a number of high school students that are part of this church, and I will hear them. They'll say to me, you know, man, things are really crazy right now. I'm a senior. I'm applying to colleges. You know, I'm doing this and that, and, and man, it's just, a, it's just a crazy season of life right now. Right? And then I talk to people in college, and they're saying the exact same thing. Well, it's college. What are you going to do? Just busy, 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 just kind of that season. Right? And then there's people with me who are in the season of life where our kids are young, and we're saying the same thing. We're just blaming it on our kids, you know. It's like, man, they need so much. <laughs> they need so much time and energy. It's so much work. Uh, it's just a crazy season of life. But then I talk to people with older kids, and they're saying, well, my kid's involved in this and this and this. I've got to run them here and run them there, and then we're doing this and this and this, and it's just a crazy season of life. Right? And my in-laws, my parents, and they're, they're saying to me, empty nesters, life doesn't slow down. It gets busier. Get ready. <laughs> uh, it seems like everybody, everybody's busy. Nobody's rested. Right, and we got to recognize this because you got to know, like, the culture, this whole American thing that we're a part of, like, it's almost mandated, this chronic busyness. Right? I came across an article in USA Today, and they looked at the developed countries across the, country, or across the world, and they ranked them in order of how many uh, have the most paid, mandatory paid vacation days in the world. All right, so this is, like, their top six so you got a three-way tie between New Zealand, Italy, and Belgium with 30 mandatory paid vacation days every year, right? Whether that be holidays or just vacation that's together. Number five is France with 31 days. Uh, tied for number three, Spain and Germany tied with 34 paid vacation days. And number one, Portugal and Austria both have 35 mandatory paid vacation days every year. Anybody want to guess who's last on the list? We're number one. We're number one. We are the only developed country with zero mandatory paid vacation days. Right? One in four Americans have no paid vacation days. It's not mandatory. Compare that to the European Union, where every country, it's, man, it's mandated that they have four weeks of paid vacation every year. But we have zero. Right? And, and I share this because you and I live in a culture where we celebrate busyness. In some ways, we, I mean, we almost we mandate it. We don't know how to rest. And as a result, we're a generation of exhausted people. So we are so tired. And, and the reason that this is so important, the reason we're even talking about this, is it's, it's robbing us. It is robbing us of the joy of life. It is robbing us emotionally. It is robbing us physically. It is robbing us relationally. It is robbing us spiritually. It is, it is robbing us of the life that God desires. So you just got to know, as we talk about this, this app this morning, um, what we're talking about runs so counterculture. Like, this, this is not what most of us probably have experienced. It's definitely not what we see in most of the lives around us. And you need to know on this particular app, like, there's no, like, middle ground, right? This isn't a neutral one. Uh, literally, either we apply this and we experience the benefits and, and we reap the benefits or, or we ignore it and we will suffer the consequences. And personally, I see the consequences everywhere, right? And so to illustrate this, I want to look at a story uh, of a guy in the Bible by the name of Elijah. And if you know uh, Elijah, Elijah was a, a prophet, and he's kind of a big deal, right? God did some really cool things through this guy. And uh, he lived in a time when, um, uh, oh, what's his name? Let's see if I wrote it down. I can't remember. Oh, King Ahab, that's what I was trying to think of. So he lived at a time when King Ahab was king. He was married to a gal named Jezebel. Jezebel uh, worshipped a god other than Yahweh, other than the Lord. 
She worshiped a God by the name of Baal. And the reason this is significant is they brought all that into Israel, into God's people, worshiping false gods. And if you know anything about God in the Old Testament, he doesn't like that very much. Uh, he kind of flips out. Right? And so God is, he detests this. And Elijah, as a prophet, detests this. And so he and the king and his wife are kind of always going back and forth. All this stuff going on until one day Elijah has an idea. Uh, and it's such a crazy idea that I, I gotta believe it's an, an inspired idea. And he says, enough is enough. Do you want, let's find out who the true God is. And he invites, they invite all of Israel up on Mount Carmel. And he invites all 450 prophets uh, who worship Baal. He says, we're gonna find out who the real God is. Let's build an altar. And you know, all 450 of you, you can pray to your God. And me, the one prophet of the Lord that's left, I will pray to my God. And whichever God responds by fire, that's the real one. And everybody liked that idea a lot. Right? And Elijah kind of has a flair for the dramatic. So they get up there, and he says, you go ahead, you go first. And they start praying, and praying, and praying. And hours go by, and nothing's happening. Right? And the, <laughs> the thing I love about Elijah is he's a trash talker. Right? And so when I played baseball, I was a catcher. So I can really appreciate this. He was a trash talker. So he starts saying, man, surely he's God. Perhaps he's in deep thought. Right? Maybe you need to just speak a little louder. Right? Because he's off in his brain. Then he says, you know, oh, maybe he's busy. Maybe he's busy. Right? Just keep calling on him, calling on him. Then he, then he says, uh, my favorite, he says, or maybe he's traveling. Right? Maybe your God is just off traveling somewhere. Uh, maybe he's sleeping. Right? And so they, they're getting frantic, desperate. Nothing's happening. Finally, Elijah says, That's, enough is enough. It's my turn now. And with a flair for the dramatic, he says, why don't you pour a whole bunch of water on that? He has him do it three times until the thing is sopping wet. There's a trench around it filled with water. And then he prays. And this is what he says. He calls on, on the Lord in, in 1 Kings 18. He says, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell from the sky and it burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil and licked up the water in the trench. And all the people fell on their face and they said, the Lord, he is God, he is God. Right, and then Elijah, right, he's kind of like, like William Wallace the prophet because he literally takes those 450 prophets and he has the, the false prophets, has them all killed. All of them, just cuts them down. Right, and he's, he's just purging Israel of this false worship. It's a brutal time. All, right, all that to say, uh, this is what happens in 1 Kings 19. Set that up. Now Ahab, it's King Ahab, told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Tomorrow I am going to kill you. Right now, now just pause for a second. In light of what just happened, what God just did through Elijah, how do, how do you expect him to respond in this moment? For me personally... I'm thinking, bring it on. You know, come on, princess. Do you know who I am? Do you know the God that I serve? Did you not hear what just happened? Fire from the sky. Yeah, that was my God. That was my prayer. All right, so if you have a problem with me, you have a problem with my God, bring it on. That's not how he responds. All right, this is amazing. This is how he responds. It tells us in verse 3 that Elijah was afraid. 
I'm sorry, what? Elijah's afraid because of this gal? All right, what's going on here? All right, Elijah is in a dangerous place. Very dangerous place. Because he's tired. All right, he is spent. His defenses are down. Right, I don't think that he has short-term memory loss here. Right, he's just wiped. Right, and what ends up happening is when you and I are tired, is that it affects what we see. So what ends up happening is our circumstances, what we're going through, starts looking bigger and bigger and bigger, and God starts looking smaller and smaller and smaller. Right, God just did something amazing, and Elijah can't even see up from up, down from down. His defenses are down. He's tired says Elijah was afraid, and so he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough. You ever been there? Can't do this anymore. I am spent. I am exhausted. I am done. This is where he's at. He is emotionally, physically, spiritually wiped. And he continues to pray. He says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down on the tree. And he fell asleep. All right? Now, here's, here's what I want you to notice. All right, what do you think he needs right now? I think that the Americans in us our good American, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, go get them, tiger type mentality, thinks that what he really needs right now is a pep talk. Right? What God really needs to say to Elijah is, hey, rub some dirt on it, get back in the game. I am still God. You are my servant. Right? I am the one that cut down the wicked, that makes fire fall from the sky. That's me. Right? So get up, get back in there. But that's not how God responds. God is going to address Elijah, but he does something very important first. This is what happens. He's asleep, and all at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. And he looked around, and there by his head were some, ba- some uh, bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. So he ate and he drank, and then he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time, and he touched him, and he said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, and he ate and he drank. And strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night, and went back to sleep again. All right, I want you to notice the pattern here. All right, he sleeps, and then he eats. All right, he sleeps, and then he eats, goes for a walk, and then he goes back to sleep. <laughs> All right, what is going on here? All right, he is resting. All right, he is recharging. All right, he is learning that sometimes the most God-honoring spiritual thing we can do is take a nap and eat a good meal and thank him for it. He is learning what it means to rest, maybe, just maybe, uh, for the first time. You know, it's interesting, you know, in this whole Western Christianity deal that we're a part of, um, even when we talk about the spiritual disciplines, we don't talk about rest very much, right? And so we will talk about prayer, and we'll even talk about fasting, and we'll talk about you know, reading your Bible and meditation and these different things, but we hardly ever talk about rest, which is really interesting to me 
Because for those of you who are familiar with your Bibles, right, you don't even open up the Bible very much at all before you run into rest, right? And God creates, remember, everything that we continue to discover and makes our jaw drop. He creates for six days, creates, 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 creates. And on the seventh day, what does God do? He rests, right? And so he models this. And a little bit later, he actually commands it in the Ten Commandments, right? He says, look, you've got six days to do your work. And my command, because I'm a good God who loves you and knows what you need, is that on the seventh day, you just chill out. Cease from work. Rest. Raise a glass. Acknowledge that I am God and that you are not. Right? He models it. He commands it. Right? And then Jesus comes along, and we would assume that if this is important, that Jesus would practice this. And sure enough, Jesus was relentless when it came to getting away with the Father and resting. You ever notice this? Right? And one of the interesting things about Jesus and what we, we know and believe as Christians about Jesus is, is he was fully God, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's part of the Holy Trinity, but he's also fully man. He came to us as a man, which means that Jesus was susceptible to being tired, getting worn out, to being exhausted. And so we find over and over and over as he is pouring out and living his life and doing ministry that he is constantly pulling away, right? Before and after big events to just be alone and rest and recharge with the Father. And if you don't believe me, you can just Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, just skim it this week and notice how many times Jesus does this. And I'm just going to point you to one in Matthew 14. Right, John the Baptist is a friend and a family member, and he gets killed for his relationship with Jesus and what he has done in preparing the way for Jesus. And so this is how Jesus responds. He's just lost somebody he loves. In verse 13, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Why? Right, because emotionally, that affected him. That took something out of him. Right, he doesn't just jump into activity. He, he's like, I need to get away. The very next thing that Jesus does is feed the 5,000, right? One of the many miracles that he performed. Immediately afterwards, verse 22, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, what did he do? He went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Right, over and over and over again. I, I don't know about you, but that is really, that, that's convicting to me. Right, when I read this, <laughs> and I know in my own life, the way that I often act is like, well, you know, Jesus needed to rest, but I'm Aaron Loy. You know, like the arrogance, like, and of course we would never say that, but man, don't we live that way? You know, it's like, man, God modeled it, and then he commanded it, and then Jesus did it. All right, how off am I when I just ignore that and hop on the treadmill and just go and go and go like that's not going to affect my life? All right, how much am I, am I wandering from what God desires for me? Right? And then I wonder why I feel so just spiritually disconnected. Why I feel overwhelmed by what I have on my plate. Why I find myself tired and exhausted. Why I struggle to be fully present with my family. Why I find myself not really just enjoying life. Or do you really think like that's, that's the life that God desires for you? You know, the medical community has been uh, trying to get our attention uh, for some time. You know, and the, the medical community says that we need uh, how many hours of sleep a night? Eight, yeah, right? Eight, <laughs> right? And so, you know, they've been saying this for, for years. Um, 
and, and there's a little bit of variance, but you know, that tends to be the general consensus. Eight hours of sleep is what we need to be really healthy, and I think for us it's like, yeah, that's a nice suggestion, you know, because we don't do that, do we? All right, the average, the average person gets 6.9 hours of sleep, right, just over an hour less asleep a night, which is crazy. I mean, if you think about it, that's one hour a night, seven hours a week. If you multiply that by 52 weeks, that's 364 hours of sleep a year that we're not getting that we need. All right, that's the, that's the equivalent of like staying up for 15 days and nights in a row. And I, I know, I know there are freaks of nature that only need four hours of sleep and, you know, they're astronauts in their spare time, right? We know that they, they exist and maybe you're that person, right? But that's not most of us, is it? Right? We, we just don't have a cultural value for rest. Right? And you know who else is noticing this? Can I speak to the parents in, a, in the room for a minute? Our kids are noticing this. All right, Jeff Henderson uh, points to an article. I'm drawn from him uh, a bit this morning. And he, he points to an article shared by Marcus Buckingham in one of his books. They did a study on 1,000 kids uh, from 3rd to 12th grade, and they asked him if you could change one thing about uh, your parents and how they, they spend their time, their work, um, how that affects, affects their life, what would that one thing be? Right? And then the, conversely, they asked parents what they thought their kids would ask. And the vast majority of parents thought their kids would say more time. Right? That would, that's what I would guess, but that's, that's not what they said. A small percentage of kids said more time. The majority of kids, this is what they said, they said they wished that their mothers and fathers would be less stressed and tired. Right, as a dad, like, that's just like, you know? It's like, what's your, what's your, if you're a mom or a dad, I mean, what your kids need is not a parent who's frantically just trying to catch up, running here and there, constantly tired, struggling to be present. You know, what your family needs is somebody who is rested and alive. All right, but we don't have a cultural value for this. But I want you to listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 11. Come back to these often. Verse 28 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find what? You will find a rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. All right, let me ask you a question. Has is, is that been your experience of Jesus? Right, if not, I, I think we have to consider the possibility that maybe, just maybe, you may know a lot about Christianity. You may be able to write a book on it, but you might have missed Jesus in the process. Because this is what Jesus offers us. Rest. Right? In Jesus, we find rest. And actually, conversely, in rest, it's often where we find Jesus. Right? It's not always Sunday morning sitting in a room like this. Right? Oftentimes, it's, you know, it's, it's around the table with a drink in hand. Right, telling stories, laughing. It's on the floor with our kids. Right, it's slowing down enough to breathe and enjoy this life that God has given us. Right, it's in the quiet, it's in the rest that, that we're actually able to hear the still, small voice. Right, perhaps that's why Corey Tenboom, one of his famous quotes, he said, you know, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Because when we're busy, we miss what's most important. We don't have time, even for the relationships we care most about. 
right? And all of our stuff starts looking big, bigger and bigger and bigger, and God starts looking smaller and smaller and smaller, right? Perhaps this is why God beckons to us through the psalmist in 46.10. says this, says, be still and know that I am God, right? Be still. Chill out. Stop. Would you stop already? Be still and know that I am God and you are not. You know, one of the, the most beautiful things about Sabbath is in the Sabbath, we, we actually are acknowledging to God and to our own soul that, that God is God and that we are not. Right? That, that he, he is enough. And, and in looking back at my own story, uh, when I fail to stop and cease from work and just rest, it's typically because I think I'm in control and I'm so afraid of what might happen if I just take a day off and rest. Right? What in the world? What will happen to me? What will happen to my family? What will happen to this church if I take a day off? You know, but you know what I keep finding? When I take those days off and I come back, everything's just fine. Planets are still orbiting like they're supposed to. Earth is still spinning on its axis. You know, the physical laws did not disintegrate because I ceased to work for a day. <laughs> but I can act like that oftentimes. But it takes, it takes humility to acknowledge that we are not God. Right, it's an act of faith. It's an act, it's an act of worship. And by the way, part of what makes this so challenging is unlike other apps and, and spiritual habits, this one does not get easier with time. In fact, oftentimes it gets harder. Right, and just to give you an illustration of, of the reality I'm living right now and, and what I'm learning, um, so I wrote this dumb little blog article uh, called Five Really Bad Reasons to Leave Your Church. Uh, and, and it was really mostly just for me and, like, the 10 people who read my blog. Um, and, and so I wrote this thing, and, and I didn't—honestly, I didn't think a whole lot of it. I didn't think it was that good. Um, I wasn't even going to finish it. Um, but one of the things that God's doing in me is, is over the last several months, I've just felt like God is saying it's time to write. And, and I was going to do that much later. Um, but it's time to hone your craft. It's time to be obedient. So the only reason I finished this dumb thing is because I had made a promise to— to start disciplining myself and be obedient. So, so anyway, I write this, I write this thing, um, and, and if you can kind of imagine writing something, like, in your journal that you typically just share with, like, a handful of friends, and then somebody taking that and broadcasting it to millions who love you or hate you for it, you would have kind of a window into what my life has been in the last couple of weeks. Um, it, has been, it has been crazy. I, we were traveling on Tuesday, and, and I didn't quite realize— exactly what was happening, just how big this thing was everywhere. Um, we were traveling. My phone was actually dead, which I think was a gift from God. Um, so I had no idea. And so we got into Seattle, and, uh, and I saw my brother and his wife, and we're, you know, enjoying the city and, and looking around. And, and we were traveling, and he had a car charger, and so I figured I might as well charge my phone. Um, so I plug it in, and one of the things about, you know, your iPhone is if you plug it in, like it automatically powers up. Uh, so it powers up, and I look at my phone, and this thi- my phone is just exploding, you know? I mean, it is this stupid little article is everywhere, you know? Like, Relevant picked it up, and another uh, publication off of Huffington Post picked it up, and it's showing up all over the place, and I get on—I mean, I'm just like, what is happening? And I look on Twitter, and authors that I follow and admire, who are real authors, not like me, who have, like, hundreds of thou- thousands of followers, one gal who has millions, they've written books, they're arguing over my article— 
And some of them are saying, like, nice things. Some of them are not saying very nice things. You know, and this thing is, like, steamrolling. So, like, blogs are popping up all over the place with people who are attacking me or attacking what I've written. Um, and then one of the things that Relevant did, and they didn't ask my, I didn't know they were going to do this. They didn't ask me to do this. Um, they linked to Mosaic's website on their, blog, on their website. And so people have been, can get on there and access my email, right? And so my email is out of control. Like, I've got people, like, all over the world sending me crazy things, like, you know, requests and needs and hate mail and all types of stuff. It's insane. So I am, <laughs> and, and by the way, I share that because it's crazy because I'm not a big deal. I know that. You know that. I pastor a church plant in Nebraska, okay? <laughs> this is crazy. Um, so I'm, I'm having to relearn what rest means now. And, and I'll tell you something, like, when I open that up and I'm seeing this, um, the, the human side of me wants to jump on and see what everybody is saying. Every tweet, every blog, every Facebook post, every website, and I want to I defend myself. I want to argue. I'm typically pretty good at that. I want to justify myself. Like, that's the human side of me. And very quickly, um, it doesn't take a lot of imagination to realize, like, this is the kind of thing that consumes somebody's life, right? It'd be a full-time job just trying to justify myself, right? And so Tuesday, like, after <laughs> I opened up my phone and it kind of got past the shock, um, it dawned on me, this is supposed to be a Sabbath day. And so I turned my phone off, right? And I just want to explore the city with my wife, my brother and his wife, right? And we explored Seattle and we ate great food, and we took their little girls to the aquarium. I played with my nieces, and we rested. I had the best, the best time. Right? And I decided, you know what, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna read all the blogs. Um, I'm not gonna read any of the comments on Relevant. I haven't read any of them. I heard they're pretty nasty. Um, I did read one. Tony sent me one. My brother-in-law with like 12 cuss words in it. Uh, guy's not really a big fan of my work. Uh, appreciated that. That was awesome. Um, you know, but the, the websites where, like, the internet trolls tend to congregate, I'm not going to go there. Uh, I'm going to rest. Because I don't want to give my life to a platform, right, or to the internet. Like, I'm a husband. I'm a dad. Like, I'm a friend. I'm a pastor. I'm a follower of Jesus. Like, that comes first. Right? And I share all that because you got to know, like, the older you get, the more obedient you are, this thing doesn't get easier, this whole rest thing. If you're a single person— and you think rest gets easier when you're done with school? <laughs> Those of us who are parents, <laughs> uh, it doesn't. All right, when you've got kids, little human beings that you're responsible for, uh, life changes. It gets harder. Life gets more complex. You, you've got to fight for this, and the fight gets harder. Right? The more you say yes to God, the more opportunities you're going to have to keep saying yes, and the more people who are going to ask you to say yes to their will for your life. The more good that you do, the more opportunities you're going to have to do good. The sharper the tool that you are in the hands of God, the more you're going to have to learn how to say no. All right, so this rest thing gets harder and harder. And so you, we got to learn how to do it now. Got to learn how to do it now. You got to learn how to fight for your soul. All right, what good is it for man to gain the world and forfeit his soul? All right, so I've got a couple challenges for you. Um, one, 
uh, I just want you to wrestle with the question, do a little self-assessment. How would you answer this question? All right, so how is it with your soul? Or how are you really doing? And just so you know, you probably can't answer this question as honestly as you need to because we are masters of self-deception, aren't we? We can justify just about anything. Started in the garden, Adam and Eve, man. No sooner were we breathing were we making excuses and pointing fingers, right? And I know you have a whole list of reasons why this is not applicable to you. <laughs> All right, but how you doing? All right, and so my challenge for you is if you're married this week, let your spouse answer this question. All right, and sit down and give them permission. I'm not gonna defend myself. I'm not gonna jump on you. You have freedom to be completely honest here. I'm asking you to be. How am I doing on this? Right, am I rested? Am I living in such a way that I can be fully present for you and our family? Right, and if you're single, right, a little bit different, but pull together some friends who know you and love you. All right, and ask the same question. All right, you might be shocked, a little shell-shocked at the answers. By the way, I'm going to be doing this, so I can report back to you on how that goes. Um, secondly, um, I want to challenge you, and this one's going to be hard, and that is to take a 24-hour Sabbath every week. <laughs> I know you have excuses, I know. This isn't applicable to you. This is all these reasons why this is not possible. I know, right? And there may be a season here and there where it's not possible, but man, you're going to fry. You're going to burn out. You're going to pull in Elijah. And you may not have an angel to show up and save your butt. Right? We've got to learn how to do this. Right? And so I want to challenge you. To change whatever changes you need to make to take a day, cease from work, and do what you love. I mean, I think this is a pretty cool command that God says, I love you enough to tell you to go have a good time, to stop working, to celebrate. Right? And so in those 24 hours, you only get to do what you love. Right? And so... Sleep in. May his name be praised. You know? Watch a movie. And if you need to, watch another movie. You know? As it gets warmer, get outside. Walk, bike. Go golfing. Sorry, honey, pastor said. I want to stay here and clean because I love you so much, but I need to be obedient. Pastor said, go golf. All right, whatever that is for you. All right, what, what is it that brings you life and energy? Because again, man, your family, this world, our city does not need a bunch of religious people frantically running all over trying to keep up. What they need is our most alive, passionate self. Somebody who can be present and smile and raise a glass and tell stories and be alive. All right, but nobody can force that on you. All right, and so here's what I want to do. As we close, I want you to go ahead and stand. If you would, go ahead and stand. Uh, we're going to respond as we always do in worship in just a moment. And by the way, we're singing a new song, which I love this song. And it is like a mantra. Sing it until it's true. Pound it in your heart and soul. That's what we're doing. All right, but before you do, all right, if you would, all right, take a deep breath, close your eyes, and I want to read to you one more time. These are Jesus' words. All right, in Matthew chapter 11, this is a message translation. These are words I have come back to over and over and over again over the last year. 
This is what Jesus says. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you will recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that. I will not lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus, may it be. Lord, I just repent and confess my own frantic busyness playing God or pretending to be failing to trust you with my time which may be the most precious thing you've entrusted to my care teach us to be a people who rest in you who enjoy this life who are marked not by chronic busyness and exhaustion but by life and passion and joy. Lord, I thank you that you will not relent until you have it all because in your hands, that's, that's where the life is. And so as we come before you and worship, Lord, we just confess with our lips that you are our hope, that you are our life, that our hope is in you. So Lord, speak to us now as we come before you.